travelers in the open roads Here's to the dreamers in the bars Here's to the teachers in the crowded rooms Here's to the workers in the fields Here's to the preachers of the sacred words Here's to the drivers at the wheel Hi, and welcome to Why God Why with Benny D and Charlie T. I'm Benny D. And I'm Charlie T. And we are both priests in the Anglican Communion. I'm an Episcopal priest, and Charlie is an Anglican priest. But ironically enough, I think that Charlie may be more progressive than I am. We're going to find out on this podcast. That's, that's what we're, we're about to out. discover. We are. And just so you know, the reason for this podcast is, is that... Charlie and I have always had great conversations in seminary and even after seminary, some of the conversations that I could never have with anyone else. And so, and they always were just existentially satisfying and gratifying, even when we went nowhere. <laughs> Which was virtually all the time. <laughs> all the time. <laughs> so this is mainly an excuse to have these conversations more often. I hope you'll like them. I think you will. Um, but I thought we'd kick it off on a light topic, the topic of hell, of fire and brimstone. <laughs> and so I want to ask Charlie Trichler here, why don't you believe in hell, Charlie? And I want to come straight back and say, Ben, I do believe in hell. <laughs> uh, I think this is actually one of the biggest misconceptions about, uh, about the topic of hell versus universalism. I think what Ben is trying to get at is to say that I am probably generally de facto a universalist. But where where I start from there um, is not to say that there is no hell at all or God doesn't have any wrath for human beings at all. I mean, not to say that we're not fucked up enough to deserve hell, but actually exactly the opposite, that Christianity, and as I understand it, and as Ben and I talk about it, is about forgiveness for sinners, forgiveness for people who actually do deserve hell, and that's exactly what the cross is about. That's why grace is such a central thing. And so it's not that I don't believe in hell. It's perhaps you would say that I think only Jesus went there. Bam. Uh, uh, whatever that means. But no, based on what Charlie's saying, I, I can really kind of get behind. I think that I recently have heard people talk about how, how could this good person go to hell? Someone like the Dalai Lama was raised last time I had these conversations. And that's supposed to be like the progressive or yeah, more liberal view is like, oh, how could it be? that these people, these good people who've never heard about Jesus could go to hell. And I think, well, one, I think the Christian tradition is pretty clear on just because you haven't heard about Christ, that does not mean you're going to hell. But, but more radically, I think that, as F.F. Bruce says, he says the New Testament, the me overall message of it is the justification of the ungodly. And so the more progressive or radical thing to say is that why isn't, how could God let Charles Manson go to hell or someone terrible, an Adolf Hitler, 
uh, for me, what makes me quiver is how, that you know, God came to die for someone like Donald Trump. <laughs> I love that. We that's get that, that too that's much, your example above Hitler or uh, Manson. Yeah, right now, that's how I'm feeling. But um, <laughs> yeah, so I, I think that if the message of Scripture is that God came yeah. for the ungodly, then the classic view of like, well, what about these terrible people who God could send to hell? I think that overturns it, if anything. Yeah, I think that that's a great sort of in, inversion of that is that, you know, the <clears throat> the question is not so much like, can why would God send these, these good people to hell, but um, why would God send these terrible people to heaven, you know, is, is the other side of this, this whole kind of coin. And so, um, but I think ultimately Christianity is about sending terrible people to heaven. Um, mm. Namely, Charlie T. <laughs> Namely, Charlie T. <laughs> I I am also the the worst of us. The wretch, uh, um, wretch I am. But I think I mean maybe that's a maybe that's a good place to to start though, or just think about that. You know, why is it that we as Christians um, even think that hell is just in the first place? Because I think that's. Yeah, what you've brought up is one of the major reasons why people don't believe in hell. But I, even as a universalist, think that it's a pretty silly reason not to believe in hell. And that the Bible actually makes a pretty good point in saying that humans at their core, in some sense, are so kind of turned away from God, from one another, from sort of who they were supposed to be that at least in some poetic, you know, abstract sense, hell is just, hell is right. Do you agree with that, Ben? I mean, and maybe before we even go there, uh, just to to get the the groundwork for hell, uh, a friend of mine told me that an Episcopal bishop recently said that there are really no mentions of hell as we understand it in the Bible. And uh, I think I'm sympathetic to that view because a lot of the mentions of hell are not the way we think of hell as filtered through Dante and Milton and this idea of just, you know, this horrible idea of the hell fire and brimstone. But with that said, there are many mentions of hell, but according to my count, I only see, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but three passages that speak of hell in the way that yeah. we understood the popular idea yeah. that's sent down to us through Augustine and uh, this idea of eternal conscious torment. Yes. And the classic text is Matthew 25 with the sheep and the goats. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we like to focus on the poor uh, on that. And that's what I do every time I preach on that yeah. section. <laughs> oh, we're supposed to say the poor. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean, that, that section does talk about just this eternal punishment for the goats. Um, and so it's, mm-hmm. it's in there. Um, with that said, I think that there are also, I counted 47 at least times where the scriptures talk about the allness or the cosmic scope of salvation. And yeah. why do we let certain texts become our normative view? If, if, if that, mm-hmm. that whole adage, you know, let scriptures more clear parts interpret the obscure parts. Um, yeah. I think we, that that adage does not help us here. Yeah. Uh, because 
when Paul in Romans 5 says, in Adam all die, all shall be made alive. Um, it doesn't get more clear than that. And, and that's not the only text. With yeah. that said, it's also pretty clear in, Roman, or in uh, Matthew 25 uh, that there are these people called the goats and they'll be punished <laughs> yeah. forever, um, which I hate. Um, yeah, and I think there's, I don't know, I have two thoughts about that. One with the Matthew 25 text is that that text, um, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's something that Jesus talks about before his crucifixion. It's, you know, it's a parable. Um, like, do we actually take that to describe how salvation functions? Because in that text, the, the thing that separates the sheep and the goats and determines their ultimate destiny is essentially their actions, right? It's mm-hmm. what they've done. And, and we as Christians just can't say that. So we're already inter- you know, we're already adding something to that text if you want to bring in St. Paul and, you know, any of the rest of the whole Christian message, you know, we say that people are saved by faith. And that text, at least on the plain sense reading, seems to be saying that people are saved by work. So I think there's an argument that you could make that that text is a description of how the world would function without Christ, that there's going to be a final judgment but I don't see how that text is particularly Christian, which is maybe a crazy thing to say, but, but, but not, you know, in, in, in the same sense that like the Mosaic law is not particularly Christian. Like it sets up this standard to under which all of us will fall. And Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount does the same thing. And to my mind, the parable of the sheep and the goats also functions that way. Maybe that's well, completely that's a, that's heretical. That's an interesting way to hurdle the <laughs> issue. Yeah, it's sneaky. Maybe it's sneaky. We'll to, this kind of probably like has to do with a future episode, which we'll have to do of ways of interpreting the scriptures. Scripture. Yeah. Probably, while well, I have a very high view of the scripture, the, the harm that certain forms of biblical inerrancy have done to interpretation of... Yeah. Like maybe yeah. we should just let Matthew say what Matthew says and say, you know, actually Paul was right. Or, you know, vice versa. Yeah. Um, but with that said, there are also a lot of passages that talk about what might be considered like soul extinction or annihilationism. Sure. Um, and there are some big figures in the evangelical world. John Stott, uh, I mentioned F.F. Bruce earlier, who believe in this. And it's the, essentially the idea that there is a hell, um, that we will... Some will be punished, but that when they are finished with that punishment, death means death, like they're, they're dying. And they even talk about like the imagery of fire in scripture, fire destroys. And so therefore, um, there will be an end mm-hmm. to that punishment. And I think in many ways, I, I think that there aren't too many people in history who've held that idea or the Christian tradition. I think it's been an interpretation introduced essentially kind of to lessen the force of the exactly. conscious punishment. Which is why um, I don't have much yeah. time for annihilationists. <laughs> <laughs> Despite the fact that Charlie's an Anglican, he does not like to be a media in this sense. No. <laughs> and I think, um, so Ben, you and I read this uh, little essay by George Hunsinger, who's a great theologian and Bart scholar, 
uh, it's called Hellfire and Damnation for Ancient and Modern Views. And, and he talks about annihilationism. And I think he does a great job of debunking it by essentially saying what you just said, that like it doesn't really change any of the basic assumptions of the kind of strong Augustinian view of hell. It just tries to like moderate it a little bit. And that, to me, seems like a kind of a false start. Like, because aren't you then doing exactly what people accuse universalists of doing and saying like, oh, can't, you know, the punishment for sin seems a little immoderate, God. Like, you seem a little angry. Disproportionate. Disproportionate. Yeah, disproportionate. Yeah. No, I I think that that's a helpful thing. I think also it's helpful... Uh, to note, and I learned this reading that essay, that, I mean, and I like Augustine a lot. I used to say that I love him. I mean, I love the Peter Brown biography of Augustine. I love confessions. Um, but when you read about Augustine's view of hell, yeah, there's no, like, making it nice. It's, no. It is what it sounds like. It is eternal conscious torment. It is essentially him saying, I know we can't understand this, but that, that's okay. Like, we can't make logical sense of this. It, it is, it's maybe not quite like the hellfire and brimstone preachers of the, you know, American period, but it is awfully close, and there's no softening the brunt edges of yeah. it. And more and than I, I that... I and Eilish do that. Yeah, yeah, they definitely try to some, soften the blunt edges, but I think Augustine, even more than that, he says, not only can we not understand it, not only is it full torment, but it's also God's ordained will that God, <clears throat> you know, creates humans fully knowing that this will be the, well, in his view, the end for the majority of them. And it's not just like, oh, that's a really sad outcome of their actions in Augustine's view God's glory is just as much revealed in his judgment as it is in his mercy. And so it's this sort of arbitrary from our, for at least from the human perspective, it seems to be completely arbitrary. And I have this quote from the uh, Huntsinger essay, which I think is really good. And he's writing about Origen, who was another ancient Christian thinker who was more of a universalist, and he, uh, he says this, <clears throat> Origen's most salient difference from Augustine on the question of eternal damnation <clears throat> is this, his granting of unqualified primacy to the benevolence and mercy of God. Though Origen's God is not without his own inscrutability, it is not the inscrutability of an apparently malignant caprice. And I, I really connected with that quote because I think that the question of hell has really been the way in which I experience the problem of evil, like the question of God's goodness. That, like, if you really follow what Augustine is saying, what doesn't that make calling God good completely meaningless, arbitrary? Like, how, how can you say with any sense of conviction that God is good if he has willfully happily created 75% of the human race for conscious torment. 
putting the ball back yeah. in your court there, Ben. Defend, defend, yeah. Augustine. And I, I wish I could in this instance. I mean, I think, I mean, I think this comes from a desire on Augustine's part to be very, you know, faithful to the text. And I think there, you know, you you can. This is the majority view. You can. Although in recent times they've toned down some of the things quite a bit, actually. But you can read scripture and and come up with this. And so I, I fair enough. I don't like it, but I'll also say that you know someone very uh, well versed in the you know Augustinian world, uh, Peter Lompard. If you you read what he has to say about hell, it's 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 just awful. He he talks about how the the souls of the righteous in heaven when we when we are in heaven we will look down and see those in hell just eternally consciously suffering and we will look down and we will be glad because that's yeah. what full sanctification means we will see that they were evil uh, and that they deserved this even though it's hard to know what that means when like god preordains people to go to hell exactly um, but that is a horrific view and I think most every Christian today would say that of of where this can be and has been taken. Yeah. Um, and that that just and makes I don't know, me for me just existentially, I'm just like, there is just so much hell in this world in the here and now for so many people. And not just mm -hmm. for the people who we see on TV and the people who have it way worse than you and for me. But like selfishly, I'm just gonna say this like I feel like a good chunk of my own life has been a yeah. living hell. <laughs> Hellish. Which is so yeah. ungrateful, and I'm so I'm sorry. We're going to talk about that <laughs> in a future episode when oh. Ben and I share our life stories. <laughs> There's going to be some know, alcohol like, involved. Yeah, like that Father John Misty song, man. Yeah. Like, so much of life is this hell already, is this mm -hmm. ever-present suffering. And so you're going to tell me that there is more... And it's forever, and it's for most of the human population, and that God willed it. Uh, yeah. I don't even know what to do with that. I can say that out loud. <laughs> <laughs> and what, what gets me, I think, uh, about that is, and you, you alluded to this before, is the whole question of like choice and human freedom. That, that to say that someone is in hell because they um, deserve it or they chose it um, assumes maybe that that we have uh, more freedom than we actually do. I guess this comes down to this distinction between like you and I are fairly reformed Christians. I say um, broadly reformed. <clears throat> broadly reformed. Just so essentially saying that we give a lot of space to God's freedom and his choice more than ours. And if, if that's true, then um, it does, it does seem that, uh, yeah, it just does seem that it's completely unfair. Like in, yeah. unless you believe in a strong view of human freedom where like people are ch in some sense choosing hell, I think that's that's a way that a lot of people deal with hell today, like C.S. Lewis famously in The Great Divorce or Tim Keller. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of folks now would not focus on hell being something ordained by God or something that is really penal. Like it's not um, it's not punishment in any way. 
it's just the natural outgrowth of being allowed to continue living as a sinful human being like that will become hell for us and kind of in the same way that you were just saying that like we see sort of hell in this world and so if god abandons this world to go on doing whatever it wants to do that will be hell for us what do you think about that option yeah, and I think maybe it's helpful to describe what we mean by like hell on earth is you know, the way St. Paul talks about being enslaved to the powers of sin and death. Sin not being like individual sins, but like capital S, sin of power. We are, and he says, we are in this present evil age. And actually, like, I'm actually kind of a positive guy. I'm not always a downer. <laughs> yeah. I like this hell. Um, <laughs> But, yeah, I mean, so, and the cross is that we have been rescued, freed, delivered from those powers. I mean, it's not fully realized, yeah. but it's, it's been enacted. And I think that if that isn't for all, then why did you go through such a, the trouble, like, of sending your own son to save a few? And if you called the cosmos and people, when you were done creating them, good, why wouldn't you want them back? And uh, in fact, so that's, I tell it's like a different view than the one ones we've been mentioning is a guy named David Bentley Hart. Mm -hmm. And he kind of, he says that even if just a few are left behind in perdition, it would have been better for God not to have created it at all. Wow. Um, so that's, wow. You know, that's, that's a pretty radical, and he says some pretty radical things. I like a lot of the things he yeah. says. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, that's that, the opposite view. That reminds me of a, a quote from from Ben that I'm gonna pull up where where he he once said and <laughs> oh, then God. and then reiterated and I quote, um, if if Jesus isn't good news for everyone, then I'm not interested. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Did I say that or then it's good news for no one? I don't know. Fair uh, I don't know. With that said, the context of that statement was. Charlie and I walking through the city of Pittsburgh and I was just in a bad occupational space in my life. But I guess, no, I stand by that. I stand by that in the sense of it just doesn't make any logical sense to me of why he would, why Christ would come to just save up, go through all that trouble mm -hmm. uh, not to bring back what yeah. God called good. Yeah. And I think there's a couple, like there's a scripture in Timothy where, you know, Paul clearly says that God desires all men to be saved. And so if, if that's, and women, too. and women too, he's using <laughs> his, uh, Maybe even more so his, uh, paternalistic, uh, language of the first oh, century English translation, Charlie, <laughs> they, they could have translated it men and women, but they, they didn't, um, Anyway, we're going to talk about gender in, in another podcast. We're coming up with all kinds of good podcast ideas already. We should have a, a woman with us for that one. Yeah, we Please. will. We will. In fact, we won't even be on the podcast at all. It will only be <laughs> women discussing it. But um, anyway, yeah, if, if God actually desires everyone to be saved, then of course, um, God being God should be able to, to do that and not unjustly but because christ died for all and that's uh this is something i wanted to bring up with you because i want to i want to bring out all the good arguments and convince you to to be a universalist like me 
<laughs> and, uh, you know, I heard um, someone, I can't remember, some famous theologian, put it this way, that, like, your two choices are essentially either universal salvation or limited atonement. Like, if you want to think logically about it, we're not talking about scriptural text here, but, like, in the logic of the atonement, either you can say that Jesus didn't actually die for everyone, or you can say, if he did die for everyone, that that actually means something for everyone, like that actually counts for everyone, and that it's pretty illogical to play this game that we do a lot now, where we say, Jesus died for the whole world, but um, it may not actually count for everyone in the world. Yeah, well, I think maybe especially in the Christian East, they would say, yes, Christ died for everyone and for the world, but Christ is not going to drag someone to heaven. And also further saying things like, the love of God for someone who just does not want it feels like the wrath of God. Hmm. Uh, So I think that, yeah, I think if we kind of get out of our reformed ways of thinking and maybe even Western ways, uh, there, there is a tradition in the Christian tradition of this notion that we can reject this. With that said, what I, what I find interesting about that is it's, you know, the, the, for the people who've never heard, they've not rejected it. So, yeah, you know, it's just, it's not over for them. It's like for people who consciously reject it. And I think for, yeah. A lot of people holding that view, they'd say, actually, unlike the Augustinian view, this may be just a few. Uh, yeah. This potentially could just be uh, a Donald Trump. Yeah. <laughs> come on, come on, Ben. <laughs> uh, but I, and this, maybe I haven't really thought about this, so maybe I'm about to say something heretical, but it doesn't seem to me that, you know, if, if, we are at some point faced, you know, we see God face to face. We actually see the death of Jesus Christ for us as sinners um, in all its graciousness and tenderness. You know, is there any human being who will not be overcome by that? And so maybe what I'm implying by saying that is that I don't think God has really revealed himself fully to all people yet? Maybe I am saying that. I don't know if that's an okay thing to say. But does that make sense? That like if all things are okay here. Yeah, this is this is a safe space. This is a safe safe zone. Safe space. Safe safe <laughs> heresy zone. And that, honestly, that is one thing I, that I do love about our conversations, Ben, is that we don't have to worry about being like the heresy police. Like, you know, we'll, we'll work that stuff out later, but you kind of have to maybe be a little heretical sometimes. On yeah. yeah. Um, we just hope no one's listening to this. but you know, you, you hear what I'm saying there of just like, do you really think that on the last day there will be some, that Donald Trump is going to say, I reject the blood bought mercy of Jesus Christ. I remain agnostic. on this. (laughs) (laughs) I think if there's someone who could, it might be him. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> um, no, I mean, I think, I think that I have to, for me personally, respect the tradition, which has largely gone the way of uh, that there is a hell. And I think 
if we're if we're being very particular, and I, I don't want to speak for you, Charlie, but most universalists believe in hell. Um, they just don't believe that it will be forever, and that it's more a place of remedy, of a, a remedial thing, than a, a retributive yeah. punishment. Um, it's almost like an education place. Uh, this guy named Donald—I uh, can never say his name right. Bloch. He's a Bart scholar. Says uh, if hell exists it'll be essentially a psychiatric ward. It's hmm. a place where people who could possibly reject Christ and his work done for them, these people are like people who just are in real trouble. And hmm. essentially in the psychiatric ward, God is taking care of them. Yeah. Um, See, I... Again, I think maybe the, the, a lot of those could be just like softening the rough edges yeah it seems a little milk toast to me or you know and and a scripture does have you know there's there's plenty of parts of scripture that i like you know I, i've i've got to preach on this text i'm like oh god like what is this in here for and you know in the you know first century jewish apocalyptic way of talking and writing and speaking which paul is not um divorced from does have these kind of intense violent imagery i think of the book of revelation yeah, sure uh, or one uh, in the lake of fire it does for uh, sure but i guess this is sort of probably putting my full cards on the table i think i at this point interpret those texts judgment texts as referring to the cross primarily that 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 is the experience even revelation even revelation um Okay. I think ultimately, and it's kind of, you know, mysterious, inscrutable, but that <laughs> if, you know, if, if we really believe that God's sort of full wrath and justice was expressed upon the cross, then what judgment is left? Um, and so that kind of all of these texts, even those written after the event of the cross and those written before kind of all point to this one central moment, which was the day of the Lord, you know, was the coming of God in wrath, but he came and took wrath upon himself rather than, um, you know, unleashing wrath upon, upon us. And so if, if that's the case, I guess the idea that God needs like a psychiatric ward to hold people in, it seems like God is in the business of creating humanity and also recreating humanity and wouldn't we all say that the only reason why we believe is because we were given the gift of faith and because the Holy Spirit, you know, recreated our hearts in some way? And so if, if God can do that, then he can do that for everyone. Um, I don't know. Like, so one view that I've thought about that I actually haven't read about, so I'm just patting myself on the back for being so smart. But I think actually <laughs> I got this view from someone else. I just don't remember who it was from. But I think that a lot of times as Christians, and even the way we've talked about this in our podcasts, is we've, we've focused primarily on the New Testament. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, is kind of natural on some level. But we do believe in the two Testament scripture. And I think that maybe the Old Testament can teach us certain ways of looking mm. at what hell might be. Uh, you know, mm. It's like a hell in the Old Testament is exile. Uh, yeah. 
lot of language in the Old Testament where God says, essentially, <laughs> you're done forever. Um, and yet, even though he says it like that, they are delivered. Yeah. Exile is not forever. Exile is for a time. And I think that even when talking about those passages that seem to suggest eternal conscious torment, that we need to look at those passages, or we could look at those passages, the way we look at passages in the Old Testament where God essentially is saying, you're going into exile and it's, it's never going to end. Your, your people will mm -hmm. stop. Um, and not just time, like eternal like exile, but also notions of like perishing and death. Like yeah. perishing, death, the eternal exile never gets the final word. Yeah. And so it is my hope, and I'll even dare so much to say my belief, that our God is one who delivers us out of exile. Wow, out Ben. Wow. Your belief. Now, I can't preach <clears throat> that explicitly because I am a protector of the tradition. I... I don't just preach what I think. I've got to go with the Christian tradition. But if someone pushes me, yeah, I'll say that. I yeah. believe that we do serve a good God. And while his ways are above our ways and thoughts are above our thoughts, I don't think that his thoughts and ways uh, just don't make sense. Yeah. I can, I can agree with that. I think I would just admit that functionally... That probably is what I believe. It's the only way I can make sense of the atonement is that it counts for everyone. And so even though I recognize these other texts that really are difficult and we have to grapple with, at the same time, I am just going to admit up front that functionally I am a universalist. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe for once. Um, in the way the I operate. Page. And I, I, know, I know we have to have to wrap things up right now, but... It's just, I guess, with all of these conversations, I realize that they kind of bleed into other ones that we should talk about in the future. So things like election, you know, God choosing, I feel like that's really important for this whole discussion. And then I wanted to share before we end this kind of image that Hunsinger uses of the differences between people who tend to believe in the traditional view of hell versus a more kind of Barnian universal view. And I don't know if you like this one too, but he talks about the scriptures as like a shoreline. Um, and there's trees all along the shore and there's mountains in the background. And the Augustinian folks kind of hug close to the shoreline. And they would say, that um, they're looking at specific trees and you know taking all of them into account, and that um, the universalists are kind of looking at this big view and missing the actual timber on the ground, right? These real texts, where the universalists have sort of set farther out to sea, which is like maybe a more dangerous place to be, but it allows you to see kind of the entire contours of the mountain range. And obviously what he's getting at there is this sort of overall picture of Christianity and scripture that maybe is more um, internally coherent or, you know, kind of makes more, more sense, but it does perhaps lose some of the granularity of the specific 
trees, the specific text. I really like that image because it made me feel good to be out at <laughs> sea viewing the big picture while everyone else is just up there by the shore. But I think it, it leads really to a, a big question about how we read scripture in general. Mm-hmm. And like, mm-hmm. are you looking for some kind of grand coherent narrative and then are able to play fast and loose with the individual texts? Or are you trying to sort of build a edifice out of these individual texts, stones, timbers? Mm-hmm. Um, and that will be a podcast for the future. For another day. So thanks for listening. But we've got to go now. We'll see you soon. Well, it may be the devil or